Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Well, once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. So good to have you with us. As announced, today is installment number four in our current series entitled True or False. And with this particular series, what we've done is start off each message with a statement. And then after presenting that statement to you, we ask the question, true or false? Three weeks ago in lesson number one, all roads lead to heaven. True or false? That was false. Two weeks ago, God won't give you more than you can handle. True or false? That's a false statement. Last week, God helps those who help themselves. True or false? Do you see a pattern developing here? (laughs) You see, oftentimes, the Bible is misquoted. And what we think is in the Bible is not really there. And contrary information or fake news can be extremely confusing. And so we have to pay close attention to what the Bible actually says. All right, today, lesson number four, here's the statement. Money is the root of all evil. True or false? True or false? Well, according to the latest statistics, when asked that question, is money the root of all evil, 40% of the people asked said it was true. They said money is the root of all evil. And when that same surveyed group of people were asked the second question, why do you think that money is the root of all evil? Their number one response was, because it's in the Bible. (laughs) The Bible says money is bad. Is that what the Bible says? Does the Bible really tell us that money is the root of all evil? Uh, Apparently, a bunch of people think so. Four out of every ten, almost half. Here's where it comes from. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Paul wrote this. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. And they fall into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and they've pierced themselves with many grief. So, question one last time. Does the Bible say that money is the root of all evil? No, it does not. Paul said the love of money is what's going to get you in trouble. An intense desire and drive for wealth has proven to be disastrous for many, many people. And Paul said these good people have actually turned their back on God because of money and it has shipwrecked their lives. You see, there's a huge difference between simply making money And making money the love of your life. And nowhere in the Bible does it say that money is bad. I promise you, if I were to throw a sack of money on the stage next to me, that money will not do anything crazy. If I walked away, the money 
would not create a single problem for me. Unlike children, it will remain obedient, it will stay in place, won't say a word, won't move a muscle until I come back. But the common misconception is that God hates money. I've heard that repeated over and over again. People think that money and greed is synonymous. After all, money stresses us out. Just mentioning money, you know, causes us to cringe a little bit. Money destroys marriages and families, we know that. And money can cause people to do a lot of disgraceful things. So it has to be bad. And I must say that I was extremely surprised when I Googled it. And I typed money is into the search, and before I had a chance to write anything else, I didn't add anything to money is, immediately Google responded with the root of all evil. Check it out, not now, but when you get home. <laughs> Google said money is the root of all evil. That was their number one response. And of course, we all know if Google says it, it has to be true, right? I'm being facetious. I've been preaching the gospel message for a long time, closing in on 40 years, 4-0. That's a long time. And if you were to ask me to provide you with a list of the most controversial subjects in the Bible, at the very top of that list would be this whole issue of money. Over the years, I have received more negative press and more criticism written and spoken than any other subject in the Bible, including sin, sex, and hell. And please don't feel sorry for me, because I love this message, and I'm passionate about it. I don't mind talking about it, because not only is it in the Bible, it has the potential to be life-changing. And if you could listen to the principles found in the Word of God that I'm going to try and communicate to you, it would make all the difference in the world. Unfortunately, I also know that when we talk about money, it can create some emotion, irritation, and even some outrage among people. Why is that? Why does the mere mention of money spark so much controversy and even anger? Well, I, I think there's probably a, a bunch of reasons for that including envy and the idea that money should be private, and maybe even a little self-condemnation uh, over past financial setbacks or failures. But from my perspective, if you ask me, the number one reason why there's so much intensity and so much conflict surrounding the issue of money it's because the devil wants to rob you of God's best. I'm gonna, I'm gonna repeat that statement. From my perspective, in dealing with this subject on a full-time basis for 38 years, the number one reason why there is so much controversy surrounding money is because the devil wants to rob you from the best that God has to offer. And before you object to that statement and wanna argue with me, Please acknowledge what Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10. Here's what he said. The thief, the who? Thief. The thief, another name for the devil himself, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. 
But I have come, this is Jesus speaking, I have come, the reason I'm here is that you might have life and have it more abundantly or live life to the full. That's the kind of life that Jesus wants us to live. How many of you believe that? How many of you think that God wants you to have a bountiful, a, a abundant life? He really does. And during his Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus referenced this whole subject of money. He talked about money. He said, God knows what you need. He's well aware of how important money and finance is for survival. And he's revealed himself to us as Jehovah Jireh, our provider. God will supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's what the word of God says. He promises to be there for us when we have a need. And so the Bible contains some really good information about this whole idea of money management and financial advice. But what we sometimes forget is that it is a legitimate and authentic preachable topic. Jesus talked about it. He made a big deal about it. That's why we mention it. If it wasn't in the Bible, if it wasn't something that was important for all of our lives, we, we wouldn't talk about it. But Jesus, he's made it very clear. He said, God knows what we need and he's going to provide for us. And so listen up. Because what I'm about to say is absolutely the truth. I, I wish I could convey to you the sincerity of how I feel when it comes to making this statement. Once you have a relationship with God, after you understand what the grace and mercy of God is all about and you accept his love and you understand that he forgives you and he has a great plan for your life. After you embrace this thing called salvation, learning how to handle money and, and manage money is a key to receiving God's best. If you just get that, I would ask you to bring this before the Lord if you don't believe it. This statement that I just made, this illustration of how important it is can set you free when it comes to your finances. Once you have a relationship with God, learning how to manage your money is instrumental in receiving God's best. And God's best, or the abundant Christian life that Jesus wants to provide for us, the one he talked about in John 10, 10, it includes money and mercy. Provision and peace, wealth and wisdom, finance and faith. It's not just about money. It's not just about the things that we have or stuff. This idea of abundant living incorporates everything that we need to live a victorious Christian life. And the Bible takes it a step further and goes on to tell us that when we respond to God favorably and obediently with our finances, he just opens up the windows of heaven for us. And again, not just finance, but all the things that I mentioned. 
Everything that we need, the peace of God that we need, the ability to trust him, all of the, 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 the faith that it takes to know that he's in control of our lives, the faith required to believe him for good things down the road, that's all a part of the outpouring of God's blessing. Malachi chapter 3 verses 10 and 12 says this, and some of you know this passage by heart. Others, you, you haven't been here a while. I, you may not have read this one recently, but here's what it says. Malachi 3, 10 through 12. Test me in this, says the Lord. That's right. When it comes to your finances, you can put me to the test. God said, I don't mind. Test me and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be room enough to store it. And in addition to that, in addition to having more than you could possibly imagine, God said, I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Friends, don't look now, but that's as good as it gets in this life. No pests, no rotten fruit. Just a truckload of provision? I mean, can you imagine that kind of living? And right about now, for those of you who would say, well, you know, that passage, Pastor, is really not in play anymore today. That's in the Old Testament. It doesn't apply to us. Well, have you considered Luke chapter 6 and verse 38? That one's in the New Testament, and it's in play. And in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, very similar to Malachi 3.10, Jesus himself said what? Give. Give the way that God instructs you to give. Give the way the Bible talks about giving. And what? It shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And this is the kind of abundance that God will drop into your lap. Amen. This is abundant living at its highest level. And what's the key to all this? The way we handle money. The attitude that we have when it comes to our finances and how we respond to God when he blesses us with things. So please, allow me to repeat the statement I made earlier. The devil wants to keep you from God's best. The devil wants to prevent you from enjoying spiritual blessing and financial freedom. And when we stumble over money, when we allow it to trip us up, we shortchange, pun intended, we shortchange ourselves in so many different ways. And so if we want to live the abundant life that Jesus promises us, we have to get this one right. All right, let's take a look at a passive scripture here found in the book of 2 Corinthians. How many people did I lose? Don't raise your hand. Right. Are you still with me? Yes. Folks at home? Okay. Probably checked out and went and got some coffee. Um, hang in there with me, all right? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be begin reading with verse 1. And by the way, who wrote the book of Corinthians? 2 Corinthians, first and second? Paul. That's right, Paul. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters... What God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. 
They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift or the offering for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and then to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, you excel in faith and in gifted speakers, you excel in knowledge, in your enthusiasm, in your love from us, Paul says, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Okay, here in this passage, like so many other passages, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about the practical matter of money. He's talking about giving. And what he's asking them to do is to continue with their financial support of the Jerusalem church. And the reason why the Jerusalem church was in such great need and they were always taking offerings for the Jerusalem church is because they were under tremendous persecution. Now, in order to inspire and encourage the saints in Corinth to be generous in their giving, Paul points to the manner in which the Macedonian churches handled their finances. Uh, you're seeing the picture here? Paul is challenging the saints in Corinth, the believers in Corinth, to be like those coming from the Macedonian churches, like the believers in the Macedonian churches. And chief among the Macedonian churches was this little place or this little church called Philippi, or the Philippian church. And the whole reason why Paul traveled to Philippi in the first place is because he saw a spiritual vision when he was on the second missionary journey. He was in Asia at the time, and the Bible tells us that during the night hours, he had a vision, he had a dream, and he saw this Macedonian man crying out to him for spiritual help. And this is oftentimes referred to as the Macedonian call. Paul responded favorably to that vision and to that dream. Immediately, he jumped a ship and he set sail to Macedonia. His first stop, Philippi. That was the first place that he went to on his way to Macedonia. And there in Philippi, Paul encountered a very precious and wonderful woman of God by the name of Lydia. And she had some friends. And they, you know, they loved the Lord. And that together, Paul with Lydia and her lady friends, they started the Philippian church. And the Philippian church, like no other church in all of Asia, they learned the value of giving. I mean, over-the-top giving. These gals knew what it was like to be generous. And their manner of giving revealed a tremendous secret. And, and this is what Paul was trying to communicate to the rest of the churches. Here's what he says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 15. Here's what Paul wrote. Speaking of the Philippians, it's a letter to the Philippians, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except for you. One more time. Paul said to the saints at Philippi, to Lydia's church and, and all of her female friends, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except for you. Please note, Paul didn't stop with the word giving. 
He didn't say there are no other churches in Asia that gave the way that the Philippian church gave. He said, no one shared with me in this issue of giving and receiving. Do you see that? That's the order in the kingdom of God. That's the formula. Giving and receiving. We give, God gives to us. We bless others, God blesses us. And I'm talking about open window, open door, floodgate type of blessing. That's what Paul was trying to communicate. He was saying to them, the Philippian church is the model, they're the example. It's what I'm trying to get across to all of the rest of the saints. I want you to emulate the example that the Philippian church showed. Because when you do, just like Lydia and her lady friends, you are going to learn a tremendous lesson. You're going to learn how to receive the best that God has to offer. It all has to do with the way that we respond to the blessing that he gives to us. And so here it is. Three secrets to the process of giving and receiving. Three secrets that we can learn from the example that the Macedonian churches, namely the church at Philippi, passed along to us. Number one, they gave cheerfully. And now we're going to go back and we're going to reread a few of the verses that we just read earlier. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. Paul said, for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. Say that, free will. Free will. See, our giving to God has to be a willing sacrifice. It has to be something that you want to do, not because somebody told you to do it. I learned a long time ago that trying to manipulate force, scare, guilt, or shame people into giving is not going to work. Because the scripture is very clear that God loves a cheerful giver. He loves when we give with a smile, when we give from our hearts, because we know that he's leading us and urging us to give that way. Here at Community Christian Church, as a part of good biblical stewardship and good money management, we teach the tithe. The tithe means 10%. And the Bible tells us that 10% of our income belongs to the Lord. And that the 10% income should go to the local church. That's the way that we perform all the functions of the church. That's how we keep the doors open. That's how we continue to do what Jesus asked us to do with the Great Commission. Preach the gospel into all the world. It happens through the local church. Tithing also allows us to get a handle on that pesky monster of more. You know, we're, we have the tendency to be greedy and, and selfish. And when we learn how to tithe, we, we can fix some of those problems. We can handle some of those things and, and be content with what we have and not always think that someone else has more than what we have. Now, I've been preaching the tithe here at Community Christian Church for the last 29 and a half years. It's been the same message since day one. It has not changed. Same verse of scripture, same concept. And over the years, I have found that the number one reason why people don't tithe, why they don't bring the 10% of their income to the church is not because they don't want to tithe. 
It's not because they don't believe it's in the Bible. Most people do. The main reason why tithing today is dipped to a dangerously low level is because when it's all said and done, people just don't have that much extra money to give to the church. At least that's what they think. After they pay their bills, after they deal with all the debt issues, save a little money for food and for the other things that you want, there's just not anything left over to give to the church. And that leads me to secret number two. The Macedonian believers put God first. They put God first. In 2 Corinthians 8, 5, Paul said, they even did more than we had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and then to us, just as God wanted them to do. Their first action, their first activity, their first assignment, priority, order of business was to surrender to the Lord, to make God their one thing, just like we sang about earlier. It was to be fully devoted to the Christian faith, fully devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to prayer. Not just going through the motions of faith. The Macedonian believers went all in. Now, do you have any idea what this nation, scratch that, what this world needs more than anything else? It needs a Holy Spirit God-ordained revival. A fresh wind of the Spirit. And I, I know you feel it. If we don't get this happening in the near future, I hate to say it, but we are in big trouble. But don't freak out because I've been telling you for a long, long time that it's coming. And I hear it more today than ever before. I believe that there is something huge on the horizon for us. God wants to visit us. But I'm going to tell you, we are not going to experience the revival and the Spirit of the Lord is not going to come among us and minister to us in the way that we want him to unless we, the believers, not sinners, but believers, fall on our knees in repentance to God. We have to do that. And a part of that repentance is to acknowledge that we have bumped God out of first place. And we've allowed some other things to take its place. And friend, we have to fix it. And here at our church, we're all about that. It doesn't happen overnight. And we can't do it by ourselves. doesn't matter how many times we tell you we got to do it. It's got to be done the Lord's way, like what we experienced last week. And we're going to keep praying that that happens. Because something's got to change in here in the heart. It's the only way that we're going to experience that kind of revival. And so number one, the Macedonian believers, they gave cheerfully. Number two, they put God first. They made him first. And then number three, they excelled in generosity. Second Corinthians 8, 7 says, since you excel in so many ways, Paul's bragging on the church. You excel in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your life groups, your Bible studies, your prayer meetings, your coffee fellowship, all of the activities that you're involved in. Since you excel in all of those things, I want you also, Paul said, to excel in this gracious act of giving. 
It's got to be a priority for us. Got to be something that's done excellently, not just done. And gracious acts of giving means to go above and beyond the tithe at times when the Spirit of the Lord is moving, when the Lord is prompting us to acknowledge the needs in our world. And in order to be able to do that, in order to be in position, we have to set up our finances in a favorable way. We have to make sure that we have a little bit left over. Uh, After we pay the tithe, there will be some that we could give to the poor. You see, it's the full blessing of God that sets us up for generosity. Did you hear me? It's the blessing of God, not our savings necessarily, but God who allows us to be generous. In fact, the Bible says that God is the one who increases our ability to give. Listen to me. God is the one who increases our ability to give by multiplying our seed. God's the one who gives us seed to sow. And that's what you're supposed to do with seed. Not eat it. You're supposed to give it away. That's the only way you can reap a harvest anyway. You have to be willing to sow. Uh, That's the law of reaping and sowing in the word of God. And when you sow sparingly, what happens? You reap sparingly. When you sow generously, you, you reap generously. Now, three weeks from today, on November the 14th, we're going to host here at our church what we're calling Give Back Sunday. We did this last year with a tremendous amount of success. On the 14th or on Give Back Sunday, what we're hoping to do is raise all of the finances we need to meet our mission and outreach budget. And this year, like in past years, our goal is $100,000. We're trying to raise $100,000 for missions. Now, last year, because of the pandemic and because the needs were so great, Community Christian Church actually gave $158,000 in missions, more than we ever have before. And because of your generosity, we were able to meet the needs of some desperate people, people that had no other place to turn to. We stepped up and we helped people. And so if the Lord has blessed you financially this year, and you want to show your appreciation for his provision, then I'm going to ask you to prayerfully consider making a generous end-of-the-year donation to Give Back Sunday to help us continue with our mission and outreach commitments. And along those same lines, we want to continue our online streaming services on all of our social media platforms. And so we need your help in order to do that. Again, this year, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to seek the Lord regarding the matter of giving. You pray and ask God for the amount of money that he wants to lead you in your giving or in your donation. And you you work it out with God. If you're happy with it and God's happy with it, of course, I'm going to be happy with it. And so just to be clear, we're going to receive this special give back offering on the 14th. We're going to ask you to make a special effort to be here. Bring your gift with you on the 14th. If you can't make it for one reason or another, we understand there are countless ways that you can give and you can get involved. We're just asking that everyone would participate. You can give online. You can write a check. You can drop uh, the check off at the church. You can text it. There's so many ways. It's just a matter of us all getting involved. And if you've already given, then I want to thank you in advance for your faithfulness 
and for your support. We're going to receive give back money donations from now until the end of the year, so now until December the 31st. But again, the offering is going to take place on the 14th. All right, I'd like to close out our service this morning with a tithing testimony. Uh, and this is a testimony that a member of our congregation uh, gave to me. Uh, he's been tithing for many, many years. And I didn't ask for this. He gave it to me. And now would be the good time to share it. All right. It's a little bit on the lengthy side. Hang in there. I think you're really going to like the end. Uh, don't, don't check out just yet. Okay. I was the vice president of a company for the past 11 years. And about five years ago, I was involved in several conversations that included me becoming part owner of the company I work for. In 2018, the talks of ownership transitioned into strategic planning with the company board of directors. This planning called for additional responsibility on my part with ownership options available in the near future. As time progressed, I held up my end of the bargain, but learned of situations that had me questioning my future with this company. I began to pray and ask God for clarity and direction. How I many know that's a key? In June of 2020, I was very frustrated and reached the last straw when I realized that my commissions and bonuses were being withheld and I wasn't being compensated for my countless hours of hard work and dedication. It was at that time, in direct response to my prayers for wisdom, that I received an offer to work for another company. I decided to take that offer and take that job. And so I gave my current employer two months' notice. How long of a time did he give his employer? All right, you're listening, two months. During that time, as I continued to work diligently, my current boss attempted to keep me by offering additional money and incentives. But after prayer, I sensed in my heart, God was opening the door for a new opportunity, so I refused all of the offers. That's when the owner brought up my LTI, or my long-term incentive account. The LTI was similar to a retirement savings, and I had invested a lot of my earnings into that account. The owner went on to tell me if I left the company, I would lose the LTI. And we're talking about a lot of money. When I heard what the owner said, I could feel my blood pressure rising, my face burned red, and I was mad. But suddenly I heard a whisper, let it go. I didn't want to let it go. It was wrong. They weren't playing fair. But I recognized the impression to be from the Lord, and I desperately wanted to maintain my same Christian testimony I had reflected for the past 11 years, so I cooled off, trusted the voice of God, and reluctantly let it go. Well, a short vacation later, I, I, I had with my family. After that, I started my new job. It was going extremely well, and a few months into my new job, the owner of the new company called for a meeting, come to find out he did a little investigative work, and through a series of events, he heard about the matter with my previous employer, and more specifically, my LTI account. My new boss said to me, we have decided to reimburse all the investment money you lost, and to continue your same percentage plan until you retire. And out of his own pocket, the new owner reimbursed me just under $300,000. 300, 
I couldn't believe it. As you might imagine, I was beside myself. I walked out of the meeting, got into my truck, pulled around to the back of the parking lot, and spent some great emotional moments thanking God. $300,000. When God says, what I want you to do is to trust me with 10% of your income, and I'll stretch and bless the other 90%, that is the best deal in town. And it works. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your desire, Lord God, to bless us and to have us know what it's like to receive abundant blessing, to live a full life, a rich life, a life that we know is so blessed by our great God because you love us so much. And I pray, Lord, that we would bring this whole matter of our giving before you because we want to experience the very best that you have to offer. We don't want to come up short. We don't want to miss anything that you're doing. And even as Paul appealed to the church at Corinth to excel in this area of giving, Lord, like everything else, help us to raise the bar. We want to be cheerful in our giving when it comes to money. We want to put you first, Lord. And we pray that you would put us in position to be generous, to know that we can outgive you. Lord, we make you our one thing. We desire you more than anything else. And we acknowledge we desperately need you. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would fill us with an understanding that you are trying to move us to that place of putting our full and complete trust in you. I thank you, Lord, for a generous church. I thank you for a church just like the Philippian church where we get in line oftentimes to help out in those situations that are desperate. I thank you, Lord, that we were able to give so much money last year to the needy. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless, continue to open up the windows of heaven, continue to promote. Thank you for this wonderful testimony of the brother of our church, the family. Lord, you've blessed them in such an incredible way. We give you all the credit and all the glory because you deserve it, Lord. We acknowledge that every good thing we have, regardless of what it is, a sharp mind, the ability to work, the strength that we have. Lord, everything, all of the finances and all of the possessions, it's because of you. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for continuing to open up the windows of heaven on the community of, of our church and blessing every family. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.